Welcome to Om Times TV, a division of Om Times Media and Broadcasting. Welcome to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's live streaming interview series, where leading new thought teachers, speakers, and authors share the intimate stories behind the 10 best spiritual books that inspired them the most on their spiritual journey. From well-known classics to hidden gems you might never have heard of, the No BS Spiritual Book Club saves you time and money by sharing reliable recommendations from those who've walked the path before you. The No BS Spiritual Book Club, the only No BS guide to the best spiritual books to inspire your own journey of self-discovery. Here's your host, founder of the No BS Spiritual Book Club, Sandy Sedgebeer. Hello and welcome. The Wizard of Oz and Manly P. Hall's Secret Teachings of All Ages are two books up for discussion today that are not quite so far apart as one might imagine. And here to explain why they made it into his personal 10 best list of books that had the greatest influence on his spiritual journey is Jungian psychotherapist, alchemical coach, and I have it on good authority. Wily modern day trickster, Tom <laughs> Cavalli, PhD, a dream artist, uh, sorry, a dream analyst, artist, and spiritualist, as well as a speaker. Tom Cavalli is the author of two major books Alchemical Psychology, Old Recipes for Living in a New World, and Embodying Osiris, The Secrets of Alchemical Transformation, as well as many articles published in psychological. Uh, Perspectives and the Alchemical Journal. A yearly contributor of book reviews and film criticism for the Jung Journal, he gives a wide range of workshops and seminars at Jungian institutes, mystery schools and conferences. Tom Cavalli, welcome. (laughs) We'll get to that wily trickster a little bit later. (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised how you picked up on that. I didn't even know... uh... Oh, of course, of course. Into my psyche. (laughs) (laughs) So um, you start your introduction to our 10 best spiritual book list on the website by saying that choosing just 10 spiritual books is a cruel exercise. (laughs) Why so? Well, I came up with about 50. (laughs) (laughs) Only 50. (laughs) It was like giving up one of your children, you know, well, it, 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 it's, it was an interesting exercise, and I was trying to figure out what would be the cutting criteria, you know, why these books and not the Tao Te Ching or the Bible, you know, the classics. Um, and what I ended up with is memory. You know, I've been very, very fortunate in my life uh, to have met, actually, and even worked with some of these authors, and I have some personal, you know, connection with them. And so, you know, reading a book oftentimes is a, a, a process of remembering. You know, oftentimes you, you'll read something, oh my goodness, that confirms what I was thinking about just yesterday. And in a similar way, some of these books, which are really portals, they're very congruent with one of the basic tenets of Jungian psychology, and that's to expand the field of consciousness. And that's what uh, these books in particular uh, have done for me. Okay, so 
So I shouldn't be apologising to you. You should be thanking me. Okay. <laughs> that that exercise there. Oh, I'm very, I'm very, very appreciative. Yes, I am. Uh, because some of these books, you know, I read as a kid and, you know, throughout my life. So it was kind of like going back and reliving those wonderful times. So not so cruel after all. Then. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many guests come on this show and tell us that we have been responsible, you know, for telling them to get rid of so many of their children. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, tell me what books mean to you in general. You know, what's your relationship with books? They shaped my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that we all have a, a faith that we've, that's given to us. But the question is, our destiny is what we do with it. And that's not, a, you know, it takes a village, as they say. And I think it takes a library, you know, to kind of go this way or that way. And, um, and, it's, and it's not just the, the, the books. We have to, you know, you know, really understand that, you know, as a writer myself, uh, the experience that's being shared with us, you know. So I'm just as interested in the author you know, as what they are, you know, trying to communicate. And they have shaped my life, I mean, in very, very uh, distinctive, dramatic ways. Mm. Well, your first book um, on the list is by a man who changed your life and literally changed your life and opened the door to a golden world, you said. And the book is Balancing Heaven and Earth, a memoir of visions, dreams and realizations by Robert A. Johnson. Yes, I, you know, we could spend this whole time just on this book. Uh, and I chose this book among many. And I will tell your viewers, you literally can pick up any Robert Johnson book. And they're all gems. They're all insightful. They're all beautifully written, easy reads. But I chose this one in particular because um, it is a kind of a little backstory behind this Um but let me preface it by saying that my personal uh, memory, uh, a living memory of Robert, he was my first analyst. Uh, and we spent about a couple of years in doing uh, therapy analysis. Uh, and this book, though, is really interesting because he had a very, very short dream towards uh, in his older age. Very simple dream. He was at his writing desk. His pen ran out of ink. He interpreted that as that's the end of my writing career. Oh, wow. That's how in tune he was with his, his dream life, his unconscious. Wow. So he took down his pen, as it were, until a colleague, friend, the younger man came to him, an analyst, and visited. And he said, you know, Robert, um, you've written about so many myths and about so many important people, et cetera. But the one myth you haven't told is your own. Robert paused. Now, I, I've been to his home, so I can kind of, you know, embody that experience. I, I know he got up from where he was sitting across from this young man, went into his uh, uh, study, and he comes back. With, we're dating ourselves here, but a little tape recorder. Sat down. He says, let's start. Just like that. <laughs> Just like that. And it's a... You know, it's a it's a it's a kind of an expose of sorts because uh, Robert was the absolute most profoundly <laughs> introverted monastic person I have ever met. 
he had incredible extroverted abilities. You know, nobody could tell the story the way Robert did. But what he never did share, and pursuant to this friend's suggestion, he really gives you insight into his life, which, given your initial appearance, Robert, you could never have imagined this guy traveling in India 20, 30 times and the wild, wild situations he found himself in. And that's another point because I had a, a love affair with India back then. And so we shared this, uh, this passion for that uh, beautiful country. Mm. I was doing a little bit of research on him. He had an NDE and he lost the lower part of his right leg. Um, yes. And yes. I mean, he had a, a, what was it, a mystical vision yes. that transported him to a realm beyond yeah. consciousness. Yes, yeah. yeah. You know, and that's very instructive because uh, even now, it's sort of like a trend. You know, in psychology, we go through trends, you know, and the latest trend is research into trauma. And, you know, the typical way that we think about trauma as, you know, anxiety producing, PTSD, that kind of thing. But in that example that you just cited, you know, Robert lost his leg in an automobile accident. I think he was very, very young, like 12 years old or something like that. But what they're finding in trauma research and what certainly is exemplified by Robert, his experience of that, it flipped him around, meaning that it turned him towards the unconscious and opened up a profound vision of the unconscious world, which he later called the golden world. Mm -hmm. uh, and I shared with some that experience with him at times. Mm. Is he still alive? No, he thought it two years ago oh. yeah we actually uh, as it turns out i when i went to graduate school i lived in san diego and um, uh, it was just by chance that our paths crossed and i ended up in therapy with him and at one point i literally lived next door i mean on the next block from saint paul's episcopal church as so i just walked across the street and there's a synchronicity to that you know uh as it turns out, and I'm talking about five, six decades later, uh, after I kind of lost uh, touch with Robert, although from time to time he would send me uh, these beautiful emails, I found out that he was giving a talk nearby at another church called St. Paul's, which I literally can walk two blocks that way. <laughs> <laughs> so he ended up chasing after me. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, book number two, Only One Sky on the Tantric Way of Tilopa's Song of Mahamudra by yeah. Rajneesh, otherwise known as Osho. Yes, yes. Well, going back to what I said about, you know, the transformative aspect of not just reading these books, but uh, in some way engaging with them. Um, I was in graduate school at the time, and um, um, I have always had a passion for books. I've always haunted used bookstores. Um, and on one of these occasions when I was living in San Diego, I just walked into a bookstore I hadn't been in before. And uh, the proprietor and I kind of struck up a conversation and he said, just out of the blue, he said, this book is for you. And it was only one sky. Mm. Um, I had been studying Eastern spirituality for a time before then, but uh, not experiencing it, not living it. And um, long story short, I became a sannyasin, a devotee of uh, 
He was called Rajneesh, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh in those days. And when I say he changed my life, uh, I mean, I was full bore. I mean, underneath my graduate robes, <laughs> I was all in orange, with long hair, you know. I mean, I really committed as much as I could. Um, the way Eastern, the Eastern path works is that you're, you're given a spiritual name. And so my spiritual name, which I don't typically go public with this, but in this instance, that's fine. It's called Ananvichara. And Ananvichara means blissful thoughts. And that's not just a name tag. That's a path. And that became my path. Um, the use of words and communicating, whether it's as we are doing verbally or in writing or teaching or therapy or writing. I mean, all of these have shaped my path. Um, a strange thing happened in, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago um, when I, um, and I don't know if you uh, are familiar with, there's a documentary called Wild Wild West, uh, a brilliant series. And, um, it was really an expose on the ashram that Roger oh, yes. Yes. In, in Oregon, which mm. curled my hair. I mean, I, I just could not believe, you know, that people were being poisoned and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and what that did in the larger context of my relationship with him is to remind me that there's something called a guru projection, but that every guru is a man or a woman and they have a shadow. And so I wrote a piece, actually, a very critical piece uh, uh, on that uh, on that that series. Called the subtitle is an, uh, a a biased review of this series, <laughs> which I think it was. Mm. Book number three, um, and you probably won't be surprised to hear that this one comes up time and time again. It is, of course, memories, dreams, reflections yes. by the master C.G. Jung unsurprising unsurprising i mean yes. these are his works up here his collected works but when people come to me in one fashion or another they'll ask you know where do i start you don't start with the collected works i will say that it's 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 tough because uh, he's a phenomenologist and he he circumnabulates around subjects and he's tremendously scholarly but as i said at the beginning you know to me i'm as interested in the person the the, the author uh, as I am in what they're writing. And this book is profound. I mean, it's profound. Um, it's profound in the insight that you get into how he developed a relationship with his unconscious. Uh, it's a beautiful book. Um, as a kind of a side note, I was surprised to learn this in my own research about this book. That in fact, when he wrote this, he, he was very elderly at this point. Um, I think it was like four years before he actually passed on. Uh, only the four, first four chapters are actually written by him. And the remainder of the chapters were, uh, chapters were dictated to Anilia Jaffe, who was an analyst. Uh, but you, it's seamless, though. You wouldn't know that unless I, unless I told you. Um, let me just say one last thing. If we had a biography, an autobiography written by Jesus or Buddha, uh, wouldn't that be a treasure? And that's how I see this book. It's written by, you know, a real brilliant, insightful man, wise man. Yeah, yeah. 
Book number four is The Emerald Tablet, Alchemy for Personal Transformation by Dennis Hauk. Right. And that, yeah, that was published in 1999, I believe. One year before my book came out. <laughs> Dennis is a friend of mine. And uh, I say it that way because Dennis is always one step ahead of me. <laughs> Which has its advantages because when I read this book, actually I picked it up at the, uh, uh, the Los Angeles uh, Book Fair uh, at UCLA. And I picked up this book and I, I shut it. I said, oh, my God, this man wrote my book. <laughs> and that says something about us and our relationship. You know, uh, Dennis and I are dedicated to decoding uh, and making this incredible art uh, that's so misunderstood available in a way that's easily digestible. And that's what Dennis does. I mean, he... Um, the breadth of his knowledge is just incredible, but his writing ability is also wonderful too. Very, very accessible. He goes through the seven operations. And as if that weren't enough, he gives history that I um, uh, just, it, history to me is the tracing of the development of human consciousness. But, you know, all of those things, you know, can be very distant from us until, as a good writer does, like Dennis, is able to put it in a familiar form, basically tell a story. Yeah. And the stories that he tells are just marvelous. Dennis is an amazing person. He's, he's done more in a modern, uh, uh, as a modern writer and teacher than anyone I know for advancing uh, and making accessible this incredible art. Mm. Yeah. He's another introvert. Oh, my God. He's, he's as uh, introverted as Robert was. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably tell I'm the opposite. I'm very extroverted. <laughs> so you, you say, you said in your, I think you said it in your um, original description that we published on the website that he, um, he's curating an expansion of the alchemy yes, exhibition yeah. at the Rosicrucian headquarters. Yes, yes, yes. That's been going on for years. Um, I just learned actually through a patient of mine who lives there, I kind of get updates because she loves that place. Um, yeah, that has been going on now for a few years. The, the, they've opened the wing that's just dedicated to, uh, it's an alchemy museum essentially, but they've got grand plans to expand it. And uh, Dennis is leading that, you know, they're having funding issues. So it's kind of taking longer than we would hope. Um, but he has promised me that when it does officially open, I'm going to give the, uh, um, the, the the first talk there. So I'm very excited to by that opportunity. So what sort of things would one expect to find at an alchemy exhibition? Oh, I've been to the, the one that's now open. Uh, it's been some years. But uh, as I recall, they beautifully illustrate uh, the manuscripts. Oh. They have each uh, section devoted to a particular operation, explaining in plain English, you know, what it is and how we could use it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really beautifully, beautifully done. And it's well-placed, uh, given that it's within the Rosicrucian. That's the Rosicrucian headquarters in, in, mm -hmm. in San Jose. Mm -hmm. So number five, um, The Trickster, uh, a study in American mythology by Paul Radin. Yes. Again, another personal memory. Uh, I was given, gifted this book at a, you know, for a good reason. 
Um, people ask me how I began my, how I started my interest in alchemy or alchemical psychology. I'm not a physical alchemist, I'm a psychologist. And that's important because when this book was given to me, I was in graduate school studying my, for my doctorate in clinical psychology. And I was treating, um, uh, as part of my internship, uh, substance abusers. And I noticed this really interesting dynamic that was going on. Basically, we were each trying to manipulate each other for various reasons, but at different levels of consciousness. And I became very, very interested in that in-between state. And uh, that kind of led me to discover not just Jung, but this, uh, his 30 years research into, into uh, alchemy. But the principal connection here as to your question has to do with the patron of alchemy and the patron who kind of looks over this dynamic between people is called Mercurius or in Latin, the, the, the Latin god Mercury. And so um, my dissertation um, was focused on the phenomenology of the trickster archetype of which Mercurius is one personification. Mm. Now, um, very, very briefly, this book is hilarious. I mean, it is the, uh, it's a, a, a story, these little uh, narratives of this character named Kunu. This is from the Winnebago uh, trickster cycle. And what it does in about, I don't know, maybe 60 pages, if I remember, it traces the development of human consciousness from our animal origins, which is what Kunu begins and ends up as an anti-hero who is, uh, has a sacred place uh, and function for the community. It's, it's hilarious. It's the, the kind of uh, situations he gets into. It's, it's, it's fun reading. You said that this is how you met the trickster and began exploring how this wily spirit can be your best ally or your worst enemy. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, the relationship that we have with this particular archetype, an archetype is a basically a pattern. Mm. And we're going to live life uh, unconsciously at the mercy of our fate, or we're going to be able to define through an individuation process who we are. But that's a tricky, literally tricky business, you know, how we fool ourselves and how we are fooled. And by developing a conscious relationship and a, a deliberate, you know, venerating all the personifications, not just uh, uh, Kunu in this particular mid-cycle, um, but there are endless variations. And it's sad that in the West, we have one day, I don't know about England, but here we have one day, April Fool's Day, which is more of a commercial secular holiday than anything to do with what it really represents. That's different in different, different parts of the world. But again, uh, if you have a more conscious relationship with the trickster, then you could avail himself of the gifts, you know, that he brings to us. He can go, he could penetrate into the unconscious, the underworld and come back unscathed, which is, you know, uh, for some people, particularly if they're doing microdosing and they're not ready for something like that, they don't make it out alive. Mm, yeah. Well, book number six, Women Who Run With the Wolves. Stories ah. of the Wild Woman by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Ah, what a wonderful book. What a wonderful book. I, I don't know if you've read it, but uh, 
this is one of those books I call required reading. <laughs> I was so um, uh, amazed with this book uh, and what it speaks, but also the way it's delivered. Uh, you know, she, the author, is a what she calls uh, what's called a cantadora. So she is a um, she sings the myths. And this book, um, I think it has some political import as well, because it came, you know, during the time, maybe at the, the height of the feminist movement, uh, which had to happen. But I, I, I have some questions about how it got expressed. I think um, uh, it, it latched on too, too much in a conscious way to masculine attributes. Um, and th what this book does is adds, it, it adds balance. What it does, it really teaches women, first of all, that they have a history, a mythological history. Um, but also, uh, it's very, very, very empowering. I was so turned on by this book. I literally would buy or get from um, thrift shops copies of it. And I literally would hand them out to not just my uh, women patients, but my men, men patients as well, because it's that enlightening. She really casts light on the instinctual animalistic roots of nature. You know, the wild woman, the Kali in us. I mm. just love it. And the stories are, are just so instructive that I use, as with Robert's work as well, they have molded me as a therapist, you know. Um, they have taught me about the dark feminine and what that can mean to us and how we can use that in our lives. Mm. Beautiful book. You know, I, I haven't read that book. I was too busy um, reading Iron John, believe it or not, around that time. That's Yeah, well, that's, a, that's sort of like a companion book. Yeah. 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 Mm. I use that story, God knows, countless times with men particularly, to put them in touch with their inner strength that has been lost, their instinctual origins. Uh, mm. And it's recovering this rusted old giant and uh, the amazing story that unfolds in that book. It's a beautiful book. It's really a lovely companion to Women Who Run With the Wolves. Yeah. So I'll have to read. Yes. Yes, well. please yeah. do. Please yeah. do. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to take a short break now. Okay. You're listening to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's Tim Best Spiritual Books Weekly Interview Series and sharing the top 10 spiritual books that influenced his life journey is Jungian psychotherapist, alchemical coach, dream analyst, and author Tom Cavalli, PhD, who will be sharing more of his favorite books after this short break, so stay tuned. Om Times TV. Maya Angelou once said that there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. I'm Sandy Sedgbeer, and when I'm not hosting Om Times Media's flagship radio show, What Is Going On, and the No BS Spiritual Book Club, I help people share their untold stories. Books are my life, my joy, and my passion. And there is no greater reward than helping aspiring writers get their books out of their heads and into the hands of those who are waiting to read them. If you feel that you have a book in you, but don't know where to begin, visit sedgebeer.com, click on the Work With Me tab and find out how my experience helping others tell their stories might be just what you've been looking for. That's sedgebeer.com, S-E-D-G-B-E-E-R.com.
Imagine becoming a super influencer. Reinvent yourself, invest in your brand, and then manifest your success with a robust, spheric approach. Ohm Times Media and Broadcasting offers a unique and multifaceted way to become the spiritual and conscious influencer you deserve to be by putting your message across our powerful platform with its proven record of integrity and excellence. Through our produced shows, Ohm Times offers the opportunity to become a social media TV personality, a radio show host, an Ohm Times Magazine columnist, and a syndicated podcaster, all in one shot. By live streaming your show on Ohm Times TV and broadcasting it across the extensive Ohm Times radio and TV networks, you become more than a host. You become an ambassador and a force for positive change. Ohm Times, open yourself to the possibilities. I wanted to talk to you about a program called the Dream Arc and a retreat that we're doing. And I want to invite you along. And the Dream Arc is a, is a dream technology. And, and even the latest physics is suggesting now that reality is not what we think it is, that it's kind of a construct. And that the Dream Arc teaches us how to use the full operating system to navigate our brain frequencies between waking and sleeping and dreaming and to move through the inner realms and the outer realms seamlessly. And you will work in the Dream Arc with certain animals that will come to you, maybe in real life, maybe through your intuition, in magical ways, or perhaps through, you know, just dreams that come to you. It's filled the dream up with invitations and suggestions and tasks that you, you choose intuitively. You choose the ones for you. You don't know what you're choosing, but they come to you. You know, so please join us as we dive down the wormhole into the dream arc and let's see what happens. There are 16 million children struggling with hunger in America. That's one in five daughters, sons, neighbors, and classmates who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Yet billions of pounds of good food go to waste every year. It's time we do something about it. Feeding America is a nationwide network of food banks that helps provide meals to millions of kids and families in need. Visit feedingamerica.org to help them feed even more. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Welcome back. Tom Cavalli, book number seven, classic, classic books, classic movie, The Wizard of Oz, Frank Bohm and William Wallace Denslow. Yeah. Why is this on your list? It should be on everybody's list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, along with probably millions of other people around the world, have been brought up on The Wizard of Oz. Um but, you know, over the years, as you mature and you get older, you begin to realize this is more than, you know, just a fairy tale, that it has incredibly deep roots uh, in mythology. If there's any one book that really exemplifies one of the most uh, essential part of the ind individuation process of becoming a person, this book so beautifully portrays it. I mean, we all know, basically, it's a story about a young girl caught up in a, uh, um, a tornado and all these four characters come out and you know but what we learn and talk about the trickster by the way <laughs> we're back to trickster <laughs> who is that man behind the green curtain <laughs> classic image of the trickster you know because we think, ah he's been he's been caught 
but what does he say to her? You know, all these, you know, the lion and the tin man, you know, all they are personifications of her. And so one of the chief rec uh, uh, recipes from alchemical psychology is in Latin is salve et coagula, is the breaking apart and the rejoining. And so her psyche, this is the a classic, classic movie of the individuation process where this young girl is, is blown apart in a sense is dismembered and then put back together and then she can come home. But when she comes home though, she comes home as a woman. Beautiful. Oh, such a beautiful. You know, I first saw that movie when I was about five or six, and it gave me nightmares for years. <laughs> <laughs> that yellow brick road and that witch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I certainly didn't get, you know, the. Yeah. Uh, the well, I, I would imagine you have a different opinion now. Now, indeed. <laughs> yeah, but at the time, I'll never forget people only used to have to mention the yellow brick road, and I. <laughs> There's a good reason to be afraid of the witch, the wicked witch of the West, because in symbolism, she is the undeveloped femininity. Yeah. You know, who develops, you know, I mean, there's the beautiful play of opposite with Glenda, classic, classic Jungian. <laughs> it should have been written by a Jungian. <laughs> so number eight, the secret teachings of all ages, Manly P. Hall. And this one comes up again and again as well. As well it should, as well it should. Again, going back to, as I said at the beginning, you know, I have a personal connection with some of these books, including this one. I didn't know Manly P. Hall, but I live in Orange County and work in Orange County, so which is about 30 miles south of Los Angeles. And in Los Angeles, um, there is something called the Philosophical Research Society, which is the complex of buildings that he uh, established. Um, and I had the very, very good fortune of speaking from the same lectern as this giant of a man who, you know, who he was for sure. Um, what this, what fascinates me about this book is that, you know, my position in terms of religion, you know, is I try to take the best of all of them because they all have pearls of wisdom um, to offer. And what this book does is it, it gives us, uh, it shines light on more the occult or spiritual systems, all of which, again, you know, I try to draw from their pearls of wisdom. So, you know, there's evolution, which is the physical development of consciousness, but there's also something called involution, which is my interest, is how we, in our unconscious ways, you know, develop consciousness. And there are systems, you know, I mean, the, the, the full title of this book tells you what it's about. I'm going to read it real fast. The Secret Teachings of All Ages, the secret, uh, an encyclopedic outline of Masonic, Hermetic, Kabbalistic, and Rosicrucian sim, sim, symbolical philosophy being an interpretation of the secret teachings co concealed within the rituals, allegories, and mysteries of all ages. <laughs> it's a mouthful. And, you know, he wrote this, I think, when he was, I don't know, 27 years old. It, it's just his opus magnum. Now, he's written some 50,000 uh, essays and uh, he's given 7,000 lectures. And again, uh, as with Rajneesh, I want to emphasize that it's not just what these people say, but it's also about how they say it. With Rajneesh, it's really breath. Every, every sentence rides on a breath. Manley Hall is a classic uh, lecturer 
with tremendous authority and grasp of his subject. So it's not just a matter of reading the, his books, but also listening if you can get hold of some of his tapes and his lectures. Uh, and, and they're just wonderful, life-changing. So they're still available, the tapes, are they? Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, mm. probably you can get them on YouTube is my guess. Yeah, you said that he is alleged to have been one of those who provided Jung with alchemical books. You know, I haven't been able to actually substantiate that, but at least that's the hearsay, you know, that when Jung got interested in alchemy, and it wasn't popular at the time, uh, he started putting the word out to people, you know, uh, bookshop sellers, antiquarians, etc., to give him some books on alchemy. And it's alleged that Manly P. Hall was one of those people. Hmm, interesting. So book number nine, you're going to have to help me out here. Um, because as a Brit, you know, we tend to pronounce words somewhat differently than Americans do. That's so, okay. We'll forgive you for that. The Golden Ass of Ap Ap Apuleius. Apuleius. Yes, yes, yeah. The Liberation uh, of the Feminine in Man. Yes, yes. By Marie-Louise von France. Okay, let me just start off by saying, as I know I keep saying this, but this is my bent. You could literally pick up any book written by Marie Louise von Franz and you will be very happy you did. I don't know anyone other than maybe Jung himself who has more intimate understanding of, the, of how the psyche works than her. The breadth of her writing is just phenomenal. Um, I could have picked any one of her books. Uh, I picked this one because... Um, it's a masterpiece to begin with, a, an absolute masterpiece. Um, I picked it because it, it fascinates me. Uh, it's basically the story of a Roman. It's a novel, so it's very readable. Mm -hmm. uh, um, it's a story about this man named Lucius. And Lucius is uh, playing with magic, particularly with sex magic and what have you. And things backfire and he's turned into an ass, <laughs> which is a real interesting comment on, on, on where magic can go wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, I draw a very clear distinction between magic and um, alchemy. Very, very simple. <clears throat> uh, ma magic is very willful. It's the willful control of nature. And I guess I don't trust human nature well enough to, to have confidence that, that that power could be used properly as illustrated in this book. By contrast, alchemy is the facilitation of natural processes. Uh, eventually, uh, uh, Lucius is uh, transformed back into his human form um, by Isis, uh, who is near and dear to my heart because I wrote a book on Osiris and and of course, uh, Isis was his uh, sister wife, as it were, uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, just an amazing character. But in the course of telling the story, um, uh, there's the myth of Psyche and Amor, which is a beautiful, beautiful myth, which parenthetically Robert also wrote about in one of his books called She. And it tells this beautiful story about this young girl, a uh, human girl who falls in love with a god but is prohibited from seeing him. And uh, her sisters put this suspicion in her ear and she goes at night with a candle and the candle drips. He wakes up only to find 
Psyche finds that he's Cupid uh, or Amor, this beautiful boy god, and he flies off. Uh, but it does have a happy ending. I'm not going to tell you the ending, otherwise you won't read the book. <laughs> okay, what do we know about Mary Louise? Mary Louise von Franz met um, like on a school expedition when she was a young girl. I think she was like 17, 18, something like that, years old. And by that time, uh, I think Jung must have been 50. So he's much older than her. And she absolutely was enamored by him and wanted to work with him, get analysis from him. Of course, she didn't have the money. And so he struck a bargain with her. She was a student of, uh, she was a linguist and a classicist. So for some of these very old cryptic manuscripts, he relied on her to do the translation in return for his analytic treatment of her. Uh, just an absolutely brilliant, brilliant woman. And the, the breadth of her work extends from fairy tales to alchemy all the way into physics. Psyche and Matter is one of her classics, which is something that at the end of his life, you handed um, von Franz a little note because uh, he didn't have the vigor you know, to pursue the subject. And it had, has to do what we would now call quantum physics. And then she took that and she completed you know, that work. And she had done that for his wife, Emma Jung, as well. Because she her study was on the Grail legend. And she died before she was able to finish it. In comes Van Franz and she finishes the work. Wow. Did you ever meet her? Oh, don't ask that. Don't ask. I was living. I could have... But, you know, the timing wasn't right. I just wasn't mature enough to recognize her genius because she did come from time to time to Los Angeles and give lectures. Missed that boat, unfortunately. But I did get, I did have a personal relationship with a man who was analyzed by her who wrote, read uh, my second book on Osiris and wrote a wonderful review. And uh, he told me the story because they had a very contentious relationship. <laughs> but just before she was dying, he went to visit her and uh, he made his way to her very recluse uh, little house. And for 15 minutes, it was only supposed to be 15 minutes, talked with her and she drew him near and kissed him on the cheek, <laughs> to which I said, which cheek? <laughs> Which week and let me touch it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Okay, so book number 10 is Revisioning Psychology by James Hillman, yeah. uh, nominated for a Pulitzer Prize, published in 1975. Yeah. Uh, again, personal memory. Um, at the time when I discovered this book, it was introduced through my graduate education. And... Um, um, my um, chairperson of my dissertation, Dr. Christine Downing, knew, uh, was friends with uh, James Hillman. James Hillman at the time was touted as the next new Jung. He was the big thing. Um, and um, I had just gotten my doctorate. I think the ink hadn't dried yet when I was invited to a dinner party by Christine. And who was there, much to my surprise, was James Hillman. <laughs> and he had a tagline and essentially that really uh reverberates throughout this book um and that is what the soul want 
And sure enough, in the few minutes that I had where I was introduced to him and we struck up a little bit of a conversation, what the soul want? <laughs> I mean, I was so, you know, thrown off by that. I was quite flat-footed, you know, just to be in the presence of this giant. And I stumbled and God knows what I said or didn't say. And it took years for me to kind of come to terms with that because my dissertation, being on the trickster, has more to do with the spirit. And we draw a distinction between spirit and soul. So the question for me is not what those soul want, is how does spirit move? And I never really was able to bring that back to him. I did meet him in some uh, fundraising occasions uh, later on, but never brought that back up. But this, this book really... Um, revisioned literally Jungian psychology, where there kind of is a centralization by Jung, basically in a kind of a Christian sort of way, focused principally in therapy and on the archetype of the self. James Hillman blew the doors open right off of the consulting room and it said, you know, soul is not just in therapy, soul is everywhere. And how do we then apply our, our Jungian thoughts to healing the world? He's a, he is a trickster because he, he's a masterful writer, loves to play with words. And he's been criticized by some by that, but he has tremendous depth. Amazing man. He also, uh, I was raised and brought up in New York City, and he was across the river there in New Jersey. And there's always some kind of weird rivalry <laughs> between New Yorkers who kind of snoutily look down at Jersey, people in New Jersey. So I had that kind of tension with him right from the beginning. Not to mention that we both are as arrogant, or at least were as arrogant, fresh out of the city as, you know, as people coming from that area are. Fortunately, I moved to the West. I've been here 30, 40 years, whatever, and that's sort of burned off. Unfortunately, James Hillman, I'm not sure I would say the same thing, although he's deceased now. Mm. Well, that's your 10 best list. I want to talk about you before we do. Um, I usually ask people who of the authors would they most like to meet? You've met several of them. And yeah. I would guess that if you were given the choice, you would pick either Jung or Mary Louise. Now, I can be the uh, willful bender of nature. Oh, I, can, I can play magic. Oh, and I can give you the experience <laughs> of meeting one of those. Of course, you're going to have to meet them in your imagination. Yeah. But which one would you like me to tap my magic wand for? Oh, yeah, it's another cruel <laughs> exercise. <laughs> Oh my God! Um, I'd I'd have to say von Franz. I'd have to say von Franz, and I'll tell you why, because I think I could talk with her. I don't I don't think I can talk with you. <laughs> She's much more personal and you know accessible. Okay, well you know you have my permission. Uh, you have everything you need. You can use your imagination and then I you can will. let us know how that conversation <laughs> went. I will. <laughs> so um, when people ask you how you got interested in alchemy, apparently you laughingly say drugs. <laughs> right, right. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? 
I, I say that just kiddingly, you know, I going back to what I said at the top of the hour, you know, I at the time I was both working and interning as a substance abuse uh, uh, counselor at that time. And it was through this thing called intersubjectivity. It's the space between us mm -hmm. that fascinated me. And that led me to uh, study mercurius and alchemical al alchemical psychology. But, you know, as I kind of thought about that later I don't know if you're familiar with this, but as I was a kid, I, I, you know, I had a very tough upbringing. I was brought up in East New York and the government projects with gangs. It was pretty crazy. And there's not much good that I can say about my father, but there are a couple of pearls. And this memory came to me. Do you know what a rubber egg is? No. Try this. Take an egg and put uh, get a glass, fill it up with vinegar, and put the egg in and just leave it overnight and see what happens. Okay. In the morning, when you take the egg out, it's elastic. You could literally, it's like silly putty. If you remember silly putty, mm -hmm. it's kind of like that. And I never really connected it until, you know, this question has been asked many times, but I was so fascinated with that transmutation, you know, of this egg, you know, and it kind of stuck in my mind. So I'm now saying, no, it had to do with a rubber egg, not drugs. Great. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll correct that in your bio. Um, <laughs> another story about you. Someone yeah. wrote that your workshops are a delightful mix of scholarship and performance art, including symbolic ritual mummification and culinary offerings from recipes created by victims of the Holocaust. Wow. That demonstrate obscure alchemical principles, operations, and procedures. Wow. One can never be sure what to expect from this wily modern-day trickster, but rest assured that a higher order always emerges from his special brand of alchemy. Wow. <laughs> Are you not familiar with that? I'm not. I, I mean, I'd love for you just later, maybe just to text me the name of that person. I would love I, to read it. I can't remember. I'll have to see if oh, I can oh, read okay. it in my notes. But but oh. I thought, wow, mummification, you know, and uh, culinary yeah. offerings. Um, what kind of workshops are these? All right. Let me let me be short with this. Um, so in, in undergraduate school, I was majoring in fine arts. I was in painting and drawing and sculpture, what have you. Um, but at the time in New York City, there was this new vogue uh, called conceptual art. And right next door to, on Queens College, the City University of New York, um, was the humanities building. And I started taking psychology classes, ultimately ended up majoring in both. Um, and my art then changed from the plastic arts of painting, watercolor, drawing, and what have you, to writing, but also something called performance art. I don't call my lectures and the seminars that I give performance art, but basically that's what I do. So, for example, a couple months ago, I, I, for the fourth time, I've done uh, a mystery school, a, a four-day intensive. And my idea is that it's not, I don't want to just lecture people, you know, how do I draw you and how do I create a living experience? So when I go through uh, ancient uh, Egyptian alchemy, 
I just don't talk about the mummification process. We literally wrap people up and they stay wrapped up like mummies for about an hour. And it's phenomenal experience. I've done it many, many times in different venues. So that's just the flavor. In terms of the culinary uh, piece of that, boy, whoever this is knows me going way, way back <laughs> because 23 years ago when I started giving talks based on the alchemical psychology book, um, I wanted people to have a living experience of the recipes because we typically think of them as food recipes, which these are not. These are like our algorithms or formula. And so um, I found a book, and I won't go too much into this, but uh, this person had um, been in the concentration camps. And in the book, they actually had recipes of, of uh, but they were imaginative recipes, some of it memory, and some of it was to give them hope. Well, I got hold of some of those recipes and literally cooked up the dish and served it to the people in the group. And... And it was phenomenal because, again, it, it's not just talking about something, it's experiencing it. So you've got um, an event coming up in October. Yes. yes, yes, yes. What are you, how, what kind of experience are you going to give yeah, your yeah, attendees? Yeah. Uh, that's tough, you know, uh, doing it online. Um, but let me preface this by saying last year, uh, there's a, 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 a friend of ours, uh, uh, Gary uh, Bobrick, who uh, has this uh, referral service for people who are looking for Jungian uh, therapy or, or, or coaching. Uh, it's called Jungian Online, one word, dot com, Jungian Online. And uh, I did a series of six seminars, two hours each, of an introduction to alchemical psychology. Again, trying to um, uh, bring it into the popular realm so that it's usable. Um, having the art you know, piece, um, I go to great, great lengths to create these beautiful images. So the, the images, you know, Jung says that all um, thought begins an image. And as an artist, you know, I see that the, it's not just what's on the image in terms of the writing, but it's also the image itself that convey, you know, uh, conveys the uh, the message. So in on October eighth, this is sort of like a companion to what I did last year. It's aimed a little bit more at application, and it's called Union Alchemical Healing. So if anyone is interested, they can go on to uniononline.com, go to the courses pops up and it'll give you a whole menu of some of the interesting things you're doing, including my class. Mm. So um, we only have about a minute and a half left, but um, are you planning any more books? Uh, I never stop writing. <laughs> never stop, never writing. stop writing. And now I started writing a book last year and I gave up. I was trying to literally give voice to the unutterable and it defeated me. And then so I went, all the way to the opposite, opposite extreme. And now I'm writing a book on the application of alchemical principles, which is something that I tend to do more in alchemical coaching, but I also draw upon some of these principles when it's appropriate with my patients. Well, that sounds interesting. I'd love to know more, but unfortunately we are almost out of time. I really want to thank you for adding your 10 best list of uh, spiritual books to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's library of recommendations. Thank you, Tom. 
Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been really delightful. Good. Embodying Osiris, The Secrets About Chemical Transformation, published by Quest Books, Red Wheel Wiser, and Alchemical Psychology, Old Recipes for Living in a New World, um, two books by Tom Cavalli. For more information about Tom, his work, and his books, visit alchemicalworks.com. That's it for this week. I'm Sandy Sedgbeer. I'll be back again at the same time next week with another 10 Best Interview with the No BS Spiritual Book Club. Till then, it's goodbye from me, and thank you again to Tom Cavalli. Namaste. Likewise.